Welcome to The Spotter, a weekly podcast dedicated to the everyday challenges facing today's ministry leaders. It is necessary to stay close to someone who will challenge you to grow, do more, reach higher, and dream bigger. You should never allow yourself to be the strongest person in the room. You need a spotter. Here's your host, Jeff Wolf. Hey friends, I hope you're doing well today. I'm so excited to share something with you that's been burning in my heart out of the Word of God. It's found, or rather begins, in 1 Samuel chapter 18. And it goes all the way to Psalm 34, and I want to draw the connection between the two. If I were going to give you a title for the topic over the next few moments, I would simply say this. I want to talk to you about fighting madness with madness. Fighting madness with madness. And when I'm through with this today, I want one thought to resound in your heart. And that's this. The song in your heart does not have to be affected by the danger of your dilemma. I'm going to say that again. The song in your heart does not have to be affected by the danger of your dilemma. Let me read a small passage to you out of 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 28, 29, and 30. This is what the scripture says. This is out of the New King James Version. Thus Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was still more afraid of David, so Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines went out to war, and so it was that when they went out, that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. A powerful passage that illustrates David's favor with God and that the hand of the Lord was upon David. And David began to show what you might call the Midas touch, that everything David touched was blessed. Every battle that he undertook, he gave, uh, was given victory by the Lord. Everything he did seemed to glow and turn to gold. And Saul was paying attention. And Saul realized one day that the hand of God is on David. And David is a mighty man of God, a mighty man of war and valor. And recognized that one day David would probably sit on his throne, King Saul's throne. And the Bible said in this passage that Saul became more afraid of David. It wasn't a fear for his life. It was a jealous fear. It was this thought that he was threatened by David because of what a mighty man David was. The scripture says in another place that people were singing songs about David, that Saul has slain thousands, but David his tens of thousands. How humiliating that must have been for Saul. For the people over which he ruled to esteem David more highly than Saul. To watch David go out to battle and to have more 
wisdom and behave more wisely on the battlefield than anyone else in Saul's army. So Saul began to fear David and turned David into his enemy. And the narrative of the next few chapters that follows this illustrates how David was forced to flee from King Saul in order to survive. And this is what I want to share with you. I want to show you this picture of a man who has been called a man after God's own heart. A man who has been called the greatest king of Israel that ever lived. A man that has given us so many insight. A man who has given us so much insight into the word of God. The man who said, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you, Lord. This man was a man who went through such a low point in his life. He became in danger and he began to flee from Saul. Over the next couple of chapters, David flees from Saul. And there are several points along this journey that I want to point out to you. The first thing David did, chapter 19, was David goes to get Samuel. And Samuel and David go to Naoth in Ramah. And when they go there, this is where Saul hears about where David and Samuel have gone, and he sends messengers to arrest David. The Bible says that when they got there, and they saw Samuel, and they saw the prophets of God prophesying. Now, this word prophesying is the Hebrew word Nabah. It means to declare God's word unto the influence of a divine spirit. So these prophets were prophesying under the influence of the power of God. And when the messengers of Saul saw these prophets prophesying, the Bible said that the spirit of God came on them and they began to prophesy. What a powerful, powerful passage this is. I want you to notice what's happening. Sometimes we read through the scripture and we tend to uh, skim over some things that are that are divine and miraculous and powerful and have great implications into the context of the verse. The enemy of David, not because David had done wrong, but because Saul had made David his enemy out of jealousy and out of out of a disregard for the hand of God upon him. This enemy of David sends his men to arrest David. Saul's already tried to kill David once. He's already gathered his kings, uh, his, his uh, court rather, along with his son and his military leaders and expressed his desire to kill David. And it would have happened had not Jonathan been looking out for him. This man sends his messengers to arrest David and bring him to his death. The Bible said that when they saw the prophets and Samuel, that the Spirit of God came upon them and they began to prophesy or to declare God's word under the influence 
of a divine spirit. What a miracle it is that God takes the mouth of the captors and turns it in to a messenger of the divine word of God. Can you imagine the sight that day that these men who had come to capture David dropped their spears and dropped their swords as the power of God literally rests upon them and they open their mouths, not in condemnation of David, not in accusation of David, but they open their mouths and began to prophesy under the divine power of the Holy Spirit. They became drunk on the Holy Ghost, if you will, under the influence of the Spirit of God and they began to declare God's word. It shows me that God, in order to stop those who curse you, will replace the curse in their mouth with a blessing. This scripture doesn't specifically say this, but I like to think it like this. I like to believe that when those messengers came with a foul curse upon their lips for David, that instead of cursing David and condemning David, that God made them bless David in his name. Hallelujah. You know that the favor of God is upon you and that victory is yours. When God begins to make your enemies bless you when they wanted to curse you. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad about that? Can't you just take a moment and reminisce on the times of your life when you knew that you had enemies, but sooner or later, God made those enemies to bless you instead of curse you. That's what's going on here. They go back to Saul and Saul says, where's David? And they explain what happened. And so Saul sends another band of messengers to arrest David. And the same thing happened. They show up to condemn David, to bring him back to Saul. And what ends up happening, the spirit of God comes upon them and they begin to nabah, to declare God's word under the influence of a divine spirit. The mouth that was intended to curse David, I believe began to bless David. <laughs> And then it happened a third time. The second group of messengers came back and it happened uh, that Saul sent a third group and the third group showed up, dropped their swords and began prophesying under the influence of the Holy Ghost. God will do what is necessary and he will fight madness as mad with madness. So the old saying must have come from what happened next. If you want something done right, then you have to do it yourself. Saul said, I'm going to go myself. I've sent three bands of messengers and all three of them dropped their spears and began speaking the blessings of David under the influence of God. I sent them to curse and condemn him and bring him back. And God has converted them and we are unable to condemn David, but I'm going to go myself and get this done. I'm going to handle this. The greatest of my kingdom and the greatest of my soldiers couldn't pull it off. I'm going to go do it myself. The arrogance of King Saul here is staggering that three bands of his most noble soldiers couldn't get it done and were stopped by a divine presence of the spirit of God that should have got Saul's attention, but rather than get Saul's attention, it frustrates him to the point where he goes 
to Naoth of Reba to handle it himself. And what happens next? The king himself, the king who had already contemned David to death, the king that had already threw a spear and tried to pin him to the wall and kill him, the same king who was jealous and the same king who was uh, driven by anger and jealousy and rage shows up and he sees the place where Samuel and David and the prophets are and the spirit of God comes upon him and he begins to prophesy or Nabah to declare God's word under the influence of a divine power. The spirit of God took the mouth of the one who condemned David to death. And I believe that 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 King Saul began to prophesy, and as he did, God put the words of blessing in his mouth, and he began to bless David. What a powerful, powerful scene this is. You got to know that David is watching this and saying to himself, I don't have anything to worry about. God's got me. He sent three bands after me and God has stopped every one of them, not by putting a sword in my hand, but by putting his word in their mouth. Do you know that God can take the very weapons and people and tools that have been fashioned against you and turn those into a blessing on your behalf? Maybe that's why the scripture says that no weapon that is formed against me shall prosper. The soldiers couldn't use their swords and spears to arrest David because they were too busy using their mouths to bless David. Wow. So after this, David flees Naoth and he goes to Jonathan, chapter 20. In chapter 20, David tells him, your father's trying to kill me. And Jonathan makes a covenant. You can go back and read the chapter for context and read it in its entirety. But David and Jonathan make a covenant. The Bible said, in fact, in that chapter that Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. Not just David himself, but the descendants of David. That if, that, that he was going to do everything he could to stop this plot from happening. This covenant they entered into because of the love and the brotherhood between them. And then after this covenant is made, David flees again. This time he goes to Nob, to the house of God to Ahimelech the priest in chapter 21. And when David gets there, the Bible said that Ahimelech was afraid because he saw David traveling alone. He didn't know that there was friction between the king and David. David makes up a story for self-preservation, no doubt. He's hungry, and so he asks Ahimelech for some bread, and Ahimelech said, there is no bread here other than the holy bread, the show bread. And so he gave David that showbread. I want you to understand something here. There was always 12 loaves of bread called the showbread laid out before the Lord, and it had to be fresh. So every day the bread was replaced with a fresh batch of 12 loaves of bread. 
And so Ahimelech took the bread that had just been taken off of the table of showbread and replaced with the fresh bread and gave it to him. And you may say, well, I know the scripture and I know that that's a violation of the religious principles. That's so. Do you remember when Jesus in Matthew, Jesus allowed uh, the disciples to eat against the pharisaical laws? And what did Jesus say? Jesus actually went back and pointed to the example of of Ahimelech. It doesn't say anywhere in God's word that only the priest should eat the showbread. That's only, that is only the Jewish tradition and Pharisaical law. So God sustained David in the temple with the showbread. The second thing that happens is that not only is David given sustenance, but David said to Ahimelech, don't you have a sword and a spear? I need a weapon. When I left, I left in haste and I need a weapon. And Ahimelech says, as a matter of fact, the sword of Goliath is here, whom you've slain. It's wrapped up just behind the ephod. And David says, give it to me. There's none like it. I want you to understand something about this. I want you to understand that God is giving David a sign. Can you imagine when David picks up this sword this sword of Goliath, this champion of the Philistines that began his journey as a mighty man of war. Can you imagine what David's mind must have done? It must have taken him back to remember the day when he dropped that sword on the neck of Goliath and cut off his head. And the great victory that was won, that he completed with this sword. He must have remembered the shouts of celebration of the Israelites. He must have remembered how the Philistines fled from before him. He must have remembered it took him back to the first and greatest victory he had ever had. And now here he is. This sword has come back to him in the toughest, most difficult, most trying, most sorrowful time in his life. He's in danger. The king is chasing him. What is he going to do? And suddenly God says, remember this. Remember the day that I saved all of Israel by your hand. Remember the day that I gave you a slingshot and a smooth stone and you dropped the champion of the Philistines and cut off his head with his own sword. Do you remember this, David? Do you remember how I showed up and did what nobody else could do? Do you remember how I came in on the scene and won a great victory when even my greatest of warriors was shrinking? Do you remember how I used you to show Israel that it's not by you? your power and your might and your skill, David, but it was by my power in you that I brought a great victory and I used you as an object lesson. And David, I'm the same God today as you are chased by the king, as you are, as you are pursued by the king, as you are called an enemy of the king. I'm the same God today, David, that I was the day that you came down into the valley to kill Goliath under my power. And when you declared that that day you said, David, I come to you not with spear and a sword, but in the name of the Lord of hosts. 
David, I'm that same God, and I'm going to give you victory today that pay, that, that causes the victory of the, the 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 defeat of Goliath of Gath to pale in comparison. I'm going to give you victory over this, David. Saul's not going to kill you. He's not going to destroy your destiny. You're not going to die out here in the wilderness fleeing from the king. This reminder, David, this sword is your reminder that I am still with you, that I am still the one who fights your battles, that I am still the one who causes you to be victorious. My friends, I want to know, I want you to know today that God is giving you a reminder through this word that he is not going to let his promises come to naught. He is not going to let his promises fail, but God is going to remind you that the same God that gave you the victory, the greatest victory of your life and showed up in the toughest season of your life is still your God today and still will show up on the scene of your dilemma today and will still do great and mighty things. Don't fear. God is going to give you a great deliverance. What a powerful passage this is. David takes the sword of Goliath. The Bible said that there was a man there in the temple by the name of Doeg the Edomite that Saul and recognized David. He later goes to report to Saul, I saw David at the temple. There's part of this I wasn't going to get into, when, but I want to just share this for a moment. When, when Doag goes back to the king, he says, I saw David, he was at the temple. The priest gave him bread and the priest gave him the sword of Goliath of Gath. You know what happened? Saul sent for the king and Saul sent for the priest and he had purpose to kill Ahimelech for helping David. And when Saul told the soldiers to kill him, they refused to lay hands on the man of God and his life was spared. This is, this is the picture that illustrates that Saul was operating in such madness, madness of mind, madness of heart, that even his own nobles, soldiers, would not carry out this ridiculous command to strike down the priest, the man of God. Do you realize that by refusing to obey his command, it was an immediate death sentence? Although, as they refused to touch Ahimelech, the man of God, Saul spared Ahimelech. I just wanted to throw that in there. It's a powerful, it's a powerful scene. Now David flees to Gath. Things must have been bad for David to go to Gath. Perhaps David was hoping that he could flee and find safety in anonymity. He's going to the place where Goliath was from, carrying Goliath's sword in order to find safety. And there he is recognized. Is this not David? Is this not the one who struck down our champion? Is this not the one of whom was sung the songs, David? Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed his 
tens of thousands. Is this not the warrior who was celebrated? Look at him now. The Bible said they captured David. Psalm 54 gives us a picture as David writes about his captivity. But this captivity ends when David becomes as a madman. This is where I've been trying to get. David's been fleeing from the king. He went from being the one who sits at the king's table and eats with the king and is the king's greatest captain of armies and is one who is revered by the king to being the object of a jealous rage of the king. And he is running for his life. And he has gone to the temple and he has gone to Samuel and God has spared him. And now he finds himself in Gath. And there's a lot of commentary out there that tries to speculate why David went to Gath. Maybe he had nowhere else to go. It was the very next place. And he was desperate for peace, knowing that there could be no peace found even at the temple. Because when he went there, there was a man, this Edomite Doeg who was there who he knew as soon as Doeg went back to Saul that his hiding place would be given up and so he keeps running and he comes to Gath he's captured and David realizes this that the only way to get out of this dilemma the only way to fight this madness that he is a victim of is to become a madman The Bible says that David acted as a madman and scratched at the doors and let drool fill his beard. And he acted as a madman. You may say, what in the world is David doing? David was humiliating himself. This mighty warrior, this man who struck down the giant Goliath of Gath, who was the champion of the Philistines, this man who had struck down so many Philistines that they were singing songs about him. Even the Philistines sang songs about him, some commentators say. He was a popular man. He was a man of fame on the battlefield. He was a man with that Midas touch that everything he touched turned to gold. Everything he touched, God blessed. Now here he is, he has come to the place where his only salvation will be to humble or humiliate himself. The culture of the day was that the beard was kind of a sacred thing and one would never allow himself to be disgraced by the beard being filled with the drool of his mouth. It was a sign that he was mad to those around him because no sane man would ever appear that way. And he scratched at the door and he acted a madman to the point where the king of Gath said, this can't be David. David would never look like this. David would never behold like this. I have no shortage of madman. Is that what you think? So you brought this day, this person to me thinking he was David. This is not David. And they let him go. And now I want to jump to Psalm 34. The Bible says, In Psalm 34, the inscription is that this is a psalm of David that he wrote when he was a madman before the king of Gath. And this is what David said. 
Look at the context. I have painted this portrait for you that brings you to this place of this escape of David, a a man who was once great, who is now on the run. And as he gets to his most humbling, humiliating state, out of it comes a song. And he said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually come out of my mouth or be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name forever. Hallelujah. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and he delivers them. Oh, taste and see. The Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear the Lord. Verse 10, the young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Speak peace and pursue it. Verse 15, he goes on to say, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and he His ears are attentive to their prayers. Hallelujah. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them before the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near those who have a broken heart. Hallelujah. The Lord is near those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflicted of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants and none of those who trust in the Lord shall be condemned. Praise God for David's psalm in chapter 34. What a powerful song. Songs have been written out of this passage. This is, in my opinion, one of the most quoted chapters in the word of God. I have heard preachers quote these verses over and over. These are scriptures that resound with us, that that lift us up. Can you imagine that David, after going through such a horrible situation, that such a powerful and resounding song comes up out of his heart? It is proof that the song in his heart is not affected by the dangers of his dilemma 
dilemma. And I would encourage you today that in the madness of this world, God will fight madness with madness. I want you to know that praise, the praise that brings you out of danger is the praise that others look at and say it's madness. Why is this person so celebratory when he is going through such danger? Why would a man who was once revered as greater than Saul on the battlefield be scratching around in the ground and spitting on himself? Why would this man be singing a song now? Why would he be rejoicing now? Because the song in his heart is never affected by the dangers of his dilemma. David was fighting madness with madness. It is madness when we rejoice in such times of sorrow. It is madness to the world when we have joy and we are filled with the joy of the Lord and we can rejoice and celebrate and talk about the goodness of God when we are going through the biggest struggles and battles and the most, uh, the most uh, uncomfortable and, and the most desperate times of our lives. The world doesn't understand it, but I've come to tell you that your song is important and your song in your heart as David illustrates in Psalm 34 does not have to be affected by the dangers of your dilemma. I wanted to share this word with you today. It's powerful. I could probably preach two and a half hours out of this whole story. There is so much here that most of it I just skimmed over. But I want to encourage you today with Psalm 34, specifically verse 18, that the Lord is near the brokenhearted. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. If your heart is broken today, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Be encouraged by Psalm 34 and declare, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Thank you for letting me share this with you today. I feel so much better now that I've got this out. I hope it encourages you, and I'll see you later. Thank you for joining us today. Subscribe to The Spotter on any major podcast provider. Visit us at jeffwolf.org for more information, and follow Jeff Wolf on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. To receive a copy of Jeff's newest project, absolutely free, 10 Reasons Why Pastors Are in Danger, text the word RESTORED to 31996. Message and data rates may apply. Remember to join us next week. Be blessed.